Must be a clicking button. All right. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. I have such an amazing um, interview today. I am so excited to share this with you. Thank you so much, Marshall, for joining this conversation. Uh, You're welcome. Yeah, I, I'm very, very excited because today we're going to be talking about something that I find is more and more uh, common. At least it's more spoken about. I'm really curious if it wasn't as common before, which is codependency and, and healing from narcissistic relationships. So I have an expert here, uh, Marshall Butcher, who is uh, a mentor for people healing from codependency. And I am so, so happy that you said yes to this interview. Thank you so much for being You're here. welcome. Thank you for the chance to contribute and, and to add to your audience's well-being and happiness and their recovery if they've been impacted by narcissistic abuse, neglect, or they're struggling with codependency where they feel like their well-being, their identity, their value depends on uh, someone else loving them and, and, and having a relationship. You know, I'm not lovable if I'm not being loved, that, that kind of thing. So I'm, I'm excited to be able to contribute to their well-being that way. It's such a it's such a delicate topic. I find that so many, uh, and that is maybe the first question: Is this more common for women identifying people or for men who who fall into the codependency trap? I I don't know anything statistically on that, but what I have found by my own experience is dominantly women that are more in the codependent function. But there are a number of men that are too. They're typically called the nice guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, um, I think that has to deal with how society's structure, like gender roles and how relationships are supposed to function and things like that. And, and part of how men internalize and process emotions versus how women are, are raised and conditioned to process that those two different things lead towards one or the other a lot. So, yeah. cause you can look at narcissism or narcissistic people who are narcissistically abusive, they're coming from a wounded state as well. They were divorced from themselves, but they use a different method of trying to get their needs met through coercion and force and grandiosity and a lack of accountability and empathy. Uh, Whereas codependents enmesh themselves with the other individual. So they have unbounded empathy. They don't have a sense of self and they glean that from the relationship. And um, it's technically codependency result is a result from what's called a fawn response in the nervous system. So if a person feels like their well-being is threatened and they're dependent on the person that's threatening them, like a child's dependent on a parent, that person's nervous system will start fawning, which means they'll please and appease the individual. And to do that, the uh, individual in the fawn response has to give up their sense of identity their sense of boundaries and their sense of self-trust. And when that happens, then they, they start shaping themselves to the other person's expectations, trying and hoping that the other person will then love them for it and that the chaos will stop and they can start to feel more safe again, which then they'll try to be more of themselves, which in the in narcissistic abuse cycle results in more abuse. So because that's what the narcissist doesn't want is you being you, because that means you have boundaries and they can't control you and they can't get their supply from you. Yeah. So they're really geared towards you not 
existing, you just being supply for them or fuel for them. Wow. It, it feels so real. I can, I can share so many stories that I have seen with my own eyes. And, and it it's just a very falls, real thing. And it just falls into what you described, this fond response and how culture has shaped women to be particularly uh, easily attached to these kind of relationships. Yeah. Like yep. uh, how we wait for a man to give us value because mm -hmm. that's the way which for many years we were conditioned to, to be yeah you're treated as property and that is such a tragedy at the end of the day right it really uh, is yeah so it robs everyone of true intimacy and connection it robs everyone of secure attachment it creates a hierarchy of what i call transactional value where we're constantly earning proving or, or trying to glean value from someone else's approval avoiding rejection we can't really be ourselves because we're constantly in this fear of well then nobody will love me and then i'll be isolated and then you know what happens then yeah so our primary needs for safety connection shelter and belonging are are on the chopping block that's a very scary thing for for anyone so yeah, yeah. i wonder if all, all codependent relationships are created equal. I wonder if there are levels because I, I there, feel like- There so can be codependent relationships between codependents. Yeah. One oh, is wow. more avoidant, one is mm -hmm. more anxious. So you can have codependency and an anxious avoidant attached relationship mm -hmm. where they have this, what's called the anxious avoidant trap where they're chasing and running and then running and chasing. And it's just, they flip roles that way. Um, a psychologist by the name of Ross Rosenberg talks about it as human magnet syndrome. Wow. Flopping like that. And then you have narcissists and codependents mm -hmm. and those have different levels. You can have people yeah. who are narcissistically injured. So they have uh, a low capacity for empathy. They struggle with accountability, but they're not actually narcissistic narcissists. Oh. So there is a spectrum there as well. And you have people on the spectrum of codependency where they're really confident in their friend relationships, their business work relationships, but that romantic relationship gets them mm -hmm. and they get pulled into that cycle there, but they're fine over there in another area. So it, it can be very individual. It can be very uh, different kinds of levels. And um, it, it's a fascinating spectrum to me because I grew up in a narcissistic culture with a father that's narcissistic stepmother that was uh, rapid cycle bipolar and very emotionally unstable and violent. And those two together just, you know, screwed my world up. My mother was highly codependent and she passed away. I was a child. So there wasn't any place to go for safety. Yeah. So I was a, basically abandoned by my parents that way. And my response was a hybrid of strong codependency, trying to fix and please regulate others. And then when I got into uh, my first marriage, I became abusive. I became controlling and dominant and verbally and emotionally abusive. So I, I went on that narcissistic spectrum. I was empathetic with everyone else, but not with this individual. So I had to work that out on my end. So I can, you know, we all navigate this spectrum depending on what our circumstances are and how well we are resourced in securing attachment, um, being connected to our needs and regulating our nervous system. So it's a, it's a journey for, for us that way. It is, it is. And I find that 
just hearing you speaking, there is something that, that immediately gets my attention, which is how we change our way in which we relate to others. It's not that we are uh, codependent with everybody or narcissistic all the time, but that can be changing according Change. to relationships. And a lot of times the, the factor that determines that is how secure we feel in the relationship and how safe and secure we feel with having needs and wants, having what's called proximity and space with someone. So proximity is the closeness you have with an individual physically and emotionally, mentally, things like that. And space is the distance in which you can tolerate that uh, distance with that individual. And those can shift from person to person and relationship to relationship. But often that's where things start to get activated is in these attachment styles because attachment styles are technically a trauma response, a distress response to the mm -hmm. fear of being left or smothered. And so that's why, like my, in my first marriage that ooh, I was being chased and I was like, stop trying to control me. So I tried to control them to regulate myself. Mm -hmm. And then I've been in relationships where they're trying, um, I'm trying to control them and, and get more proximity with them and closeness with them. I was being codependent with them and they're trying to get away. And mm -hmm. then, then you have the real narcissist abuse where the person has a prof profound or pronounced lack of empathy. They, they don't, everything's a victim for them there. I'm a victim of, you know, the bill I didn't pay. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> I'm a victim that I don't have as much money as that person or have this thing that, you know, they have this real grandiosity that they're special and should be treated differently. And that, that comes from my family. I I've experienced that through, through my family of origin. So yeah, yeah there, there's some real, it's a dynamic world. There's a lot of spectrum there. That, that is so important because I find that it's so common to nowadays call everybody a narcissist. Uh, and people is just tossing away the term. Oh yeah, my ex is a narcissist, and I find that dangerous because it it kind of takes away the responsibility of the codependent uh, part and also the dynamic, right? How how as you just described, it it doesn't necessarily uh, goes the same way with all relationships. So uh, there are two things that that you mentioned that are particularly important for. Uh, for my audience and for people that I actually know closely, mm. which is the grandiose aspect and the pathological narcissistic people and, and actually abusive relationships. Yeah. Uh, I find that those two things um, are particularly common and the grandiose part is so, so less known, less spoken about. I would really love to know uh, a little bit more. Uh, for, for me personally, it, it has a lot to do with the patriarchal system that that tells kind of this entitlement uh, uh, and yes. this oh the golden child. But I would love oh, yeah. to hear what you what you have to say about the grandiose aspect. Yeah, grandiosity is driven from entitlement and from what I call narcissistic inflation. So narcissistic individuals are like a balloon and they need fuel and that fuel is the air you put into the balloon so it gets bigger and bigger so the more attention the more praise the more whatever they're getting that they consider to be fuel or supply makes them bigger but there's a hole in this balloon and it's always deflating so they need more and more and they feel entitled to whatever that supply is mm -hmm. so I, I kind of put it in the equation of a cookie 
So in relationships with narcissists, you're coming from what's called a benefit-centered relationship. That means they're in a relationship to get something, mm. not to give something because they're there to be served. I deserve this. You give it to me now. That's the perspective of entitlement. And I call that the cookie. So the codependent gives the narcissist the cookie. Mm-hmm. And then the narcissists go off and do whatever they want. And the codependent's like, what about me? I did this for you. Where's, where's, my, where's the return? Where's the reciprocity? And then they're just drained constantly of their cookies. So they start making more cookies because they're getting a, what's called a breadcrumb. A little slice of love sometimes from, hey, gave them a cookie on Tuesday. And you're like, thank you. I love you. It was so wonderful. And then two months later, they get another breadcrumb from them from another cookie they gave. But there's these gaps between this, re- this reinforcement of value. It's called intermittent reinforcement, meaning I only get love when I do something that happens to please them. We call it love, but it's technically a, a approval to manipulation. And so that's what the grandiosity is about. It's about their entitlement to specialness and to especially bypassing accountability and being privileged into like positions of power and status and things like that. And that's a grandiose narcissist or, or what's called overt narcissist. You have what's called covert narcissism where they're, their grandiosity is I'm the one that has the worst experience, the most pain, my world is the most broken. My traumas are the worst. I, I can't do anything. I'm completely helpless. Please save me from the, myself, basically. And so you have a spectrum there on the grandiosity. They can come off as real weak, broken, hurt. They need you. They can't go on without you. And then the grandiose are like, I'm, I'm all about power. I deserve this. Look at me. I'm special. And if you don't agree, you're wrong. And I'm going to make you pay for it. So that's where their vindictiveness comes in. So the entitlement is the driver of the sense of grandiosity. They, they have to inflate themselves because they, they live with such an emptiness of self that way. Wow. I feel like, unfortunately, there are so many levels in which this happens every day to so many couples i really wonder if there are actually couples out there that haven't at some point some level of codependence or entitlement entitlement obligations are pretty common factor in most relationships Mm -hmm. but it's not to the scale that a narcissist operates on because it's Mm -hmm. not a, a normal person has a a conditioned sense of entitlement. I mean, we haven't grown up yet to realize that relationships with other adults are built on consent and privilege. And so there's some growing up to do, some maturity. A narcissist doesn't think that way. They believe, they sincerely believe their entitlement is a fact and everybody else is wrong and they need to get in line and start agreeing with it. So it's not a consideration that, oh, I'm, I've need to grow up. It's more like everyone else needs to grow up and give me what I want because I'm special. So it's a very different kind of magnitude of mm-hmm. entitlement, but we all do have to mature out of entitlement and move into consent. That's a biggie in healthy relationships. I love that so much. I, I, um, as, as I hear you, I think of Esther Perel say, uh, redefining what relationships are like, like we, we are actually just 
uh, in alone, right? Like relationships are alone that can be uh, regretted, a contract that has to constantly yep. be regretted. And, and it's yeah, just it has to be cultivated and has to be alive. And so it's always based on this active form of consent and what's called attenuation to your partner and your partner being attenuated to you. So you can sense into what's going on and, and be responsive to it rather than reactive or disengaged. Oh, well, it's just doing what it does. And, you know, they've checked out of the relationship for whatever reason. That takes work. That, that, that's, that's what I call adulthood. And that's really what my work is about is helping codependents separate themselves, differentiate themselves from their abuse and from what they've gone through and start to come back to a sense of self through restoring self-trust and uh, the legitimacy of one's wants, feelings, desires, boundaries, person. So they can literally start knowing themselves and from that start to learn how love works towards self so they can live who they are. That's, that's my, my end of that, that work is bringing people back to themselves so they can start learning it and living it. And from there, you can build relationships that function uh, quite well. I've got about 54 marriages under my belt in the last three years for clients that have gone from severely narcissistic abuse relationships to solid, healthy, happy marriages with different people. I mean, you you can't make a marriage or a relationship work. The other person's not willing to do their work. So they ended those relationships, came to me, and we worked in that direction for them. So mm. oh, I find that to be so reassuring because I have seen that people that end up with a, with a narcissist or with a very painful relationship doubt that there is something different out there. They really Actually, believe that it's impossible. Yeah, a lot of times with this, the individual has come from a history of the of lack in healthy friendship, healthy family unit, and and have just constantly been trying to find or make a relationship healthy. And they've they've given they've had so much feedback and experience, it's hard for the brain to go really that there's healthy relationships out there. And, and the paradox in this is that. There are, but we're not in the circles those relationships are in because the codependency motivates us to go in certain directions, which is away from healthy people. And that's one of the key signals to that, that I work with in the relationship side of things is learning to get to know people who at first seem boring Mm. because codependency is seeking a euphoria and the seduction aspects of the narcissistic individual, their grandiosity, their claims, their confidence, the praise, the love bombing they give you, the praise, the attention, the gifts, all that really activated euphoria within the codependent. It's like, I'm finally seen and lovable and I'm whole and this person's going to rescue me. And it's a child's fantasy playing out there. And they're really attracted to that because they haven't matured and healed out of that unmet need and unmet self in the child, in the inner child. But when they start to grow and heal and get more attenuated to themselves, these, putting quotes, boring people start to become very appealing because you realize they're safe, they're reliable, they're trustworthy, they're kind. And there's this warmth and this calmness 
and this affection that emerges that doesn't have all this fear and intensity. You still get passion, but you don't get fear. You don't get this, this uh, intensity of what's going to happen next. Are they going to drop the ball or, oh, they loved me. Okay, I get my high again. And we start to descend back into you know, distress and despair and then up and down. We get out of that. We start mm-hmm. to learn what it's like to have a calm, stable, nurturing relationship. Oh my gosh. It's so interesting because one of the first things that women learn, uh, I remember listening to my friends in high school, is that good boys are boring. Like, like this no. wanting the bad boy, wanting the bad guy. And then having also the bar very low when it comes to men. Uh, that, that's also something that I have yeah. found particularly painful. Saying, okay, he doesn't beat me. <laughs> like, yeah. I know for me, I'm not getting was, hit. <laughs> Yeah, for me, that was the thing. It was, okay, I want a partner that doesn't beat me, doesn't uh, play around with many women at the same time, doesn't have a, a gambling or a drug addiction, and that's it. <laughs> right, yeah. And then years later, it's like, okay, I think that the bar was particularly low. <laughs> Too low. Yeah. yeah, we learned to tolerate really unhealthy behavior because we don't know we think that uh, a trusting, safe, healthy relationship is the peak experience, but it's the foundation of a relationship. I call it the eight relationship bare minimums, and that is they respect your boundaries. They, they're reliable in respecting their boundaries and taking accountability. They respect your privacy and other people's privacy. They have integrity. They walk their talk and they correct their behaviors. They practice acceptance. They want to understand you. They come with you from a, uh, a perspective of curiosity, wanting to know who you are. They practice positive, warm regard. So you make a mistake. It's not like, oh, you did that deliberately. You were planning that. No, it's more like, wow, well, okay, let's talk about this mistake. And, you know, it affected me this way. And then there's empathy and care there. And then the last one is empathy, where they can empathize, have compassion and care about you and your well-being, their impact on you and others. And then that's all reinforced again through their reliability and accountability and their integrity. That's the foundation of a healthy relationship. You know, that's what we look for when we get to know people's, how do they show up this way through patterns of behavior, not their pretty words. Mm-hmm. Words yeah. are not to be trusted. The behaviors tell the truth, especially patterns of behavior. So through the dating process, I teach people how to date so they can see these signals uh, through a variety of experiences and conditions so they can make an effective choice there. Oh my gosh. Oh. I find that so fascinating, especially because I can think of so many cases where women are actually taught to give all of that that you just described, this empathy, this understanding, this respect, hoping that with that, they will change the partner, like they will change the bad boy. I will, I I would always laugh at that. It's like, oh my God, I am going to change the beast with the superpower of my super love and the truth is that it doesn't happen. No. And, and, and that is part of uh, the fantasy, the codependent fantasy is my, I can change someone. Mm -hmm. There's a sense, there's a little grandiosity in that thing. You think about it, you're like, mm. and it's also a an misunderstanding about why people are who they are. 
people are who they are because they choose to be either unconsciously or consciously or in spectrum between the two. And we have no right to change anyone. <coughs> Our job is to understand them. If I can understand and accept a person as they are, I can make better decisions about where they belong in my life. Because acceptance doesn't mean tolerance. It means acknowledgement. Okay, this person does this thing that way. How does it align with what I, my values and my well-being, my happiness? Oh, it doesn't? Well, then they don't get to be in my world. Oh, it does in this way. Okay. And is that the other way is costing me something, harming me? If not, then there's a compatibility fit, maybe like in business or something. But generally in, rela in romantic relationships, what people are doing is they're following their feelings. And ignoring the pattern of results and impacts and, and, and uh, behaviors that show up. It's like, but, you know, he treated me well this one time. Healthy people aren't a one-time thing. This is partly why they come off as boring is because they're consistent in how they treat you. They care. And that is a consistent thing across the spectrum rather than once in a while. Yeah. So, so there's, there's a lot to unpack when we look at how we relate to people. Cause a lot of times we've turned people into objects. It's like, mm -hmm. Oh, I know who they are. I know who they really are. They could oh. be this, if they would just heal their trauma and I can heal their trauma. I can, my love will heal them. And then, and this is in the background, their love will heal me. They'll make me whole. They'll make me special. They'll give me value. Mm -hmm. okay. And that's the problem because with every, with codependency, there's always the hidden exchange. Mm -hmm. It's like, if I do this, then you're going to do this. And that's what it's going to mean about me. And, and we have to break that and take ownership of our value, our identity, our choices and actions and our needs and wants. And then learn how to detect people who value those things by their nature, the way they show up, and then build relationship with individuals like that, rather than trying to change people, which is not something we have our power to do, and we have no right to do either. Yeah, oh my gosh. I wish I could just take this recording and go to myself like 20 years ago <laughs> you and me both <laughs> yeah. saved both of us a lot of pain and time and energy absolutely exactly. oh my gosh really i am a uh closeted uh former to all healing codependent i i recognize that i haven't uh, spoken openly about it, but I know that my relationship was based on the the codependency, which I was like, oh my god, I'm going to 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 help him and yeah, to give love in exchange yeah. and value. Value, and that's one of the key elements is codependency because it's a child level attachment response to 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 trauma. Uh, and for children, their value is defined by their parent. It's ex what's called externally oriented. And as a healthy child matures, they internalize that value. Like, oh, I am sovereign in my value. I'm an, a valuable person as I am. And that's happening because the parents reflecting back to them value, responsibility, integrity, their power, stuff like that. Codependents don't get this. They, it's never happens because the parent 
is doing something else. They're using the child for their own emotional support. They're neglecting the child. They're ignoring the child. They're, they're harming the child in some way. And the child never gets a chance to, to develop this, what's called individuated sense of self. They get a partial sense, but then they're still enmeshed with that. And then we take that and we translate it to our romantic relationships. So now my partner defines me and is responsible for my value. We don't even know we're doing this. This is all in the nervous system. This is somatic. And that's why we're doing that. We have to take that back or to become in our adulthood. I own my value and my job is to cultivate the awareness of what I call innate value, my intrinsic worth. It doesn't change on being rejected or accepted. It doesn't change on what I do or don't do, have or be. It's, it's here and I need to learn to tune into it and live from it. That's, that's how we start to know, love, and live who we are. It's all on that value. And then I, I find that the majority of times we can think that we're healing that in our relationships or uh, we, we are uh, no longer doing that in automatic pilot, like we're starting to be aware. But we do that with our work or with our relationships. Yeah. <laughs> we throw it in everything, you know. Um, I run the, I run my little business and it gets enmeshed in that. I have to bring it home. So it's a practice of individuating and coming back to my sovereignty, my wholeness as a human being and not letting something else define me anymore. I, I get to know me and be sovereign despite what I do be or have for, for any other purpose. And that is a practice. It is a practice. It also helps us build interdependence with healthy things. Because your needs and wants are valid. And a lot of times codependents want to become independent, meaning I don't want anybody else to meet my needs. I can do it all on my own. And that's not an attainable outcome if you want to be happy. Happiness and that are not compatible. We need to develop interdependence, which means I have a need. And then I can go and identify healthy people who want to contribute to my need. It brings them joy to contribute to my need and my want. It brings me joy to contribute to theirs. And this is a factor in satisfying relationships and friendships is that we're valuing each other's needs. Mm -hmm. So I mentioned that thing called a benefit-centered relationship, narcissists and available people. Well, the opposite is connection-centered relating, which means I care about how you're feeling, how you're doing, what your well-being is and what you want. And we do that together and wham, we're reciprocating. Oh, you have this need. Let's talk about it. How does that get met? Oh, this way. Well, let's see if I can do that. Vice yeah. versa. So it's a really vulnerable uh, experience of intimacy built on uh, self-trust and then trust in the other individual through experience, not through assumption. Because most people assume it. They're like, well, they, they're nice to me for three weeks, so I can trust them with everything. No, you, you don't even know this individual. A baby takes longer to be made than that. And you're going to mm -hmm. just jump into this. I mean, we need to take our time to really know a person. And that trust is built through experience or it's destroyed through experience. And that tells you how the relationship, if this person's compatible with your well-being and happiness or not, rather than. I want, I love them. So we've got to make this work. Yeah. And that's, that's dangerous. What matters is the compatibility, how the relationship functions. And if we love them, 
But if we love them and it's not functional, we're going to suffer and they're going to suffer. So it takes both. There's something that I really want to repeat. And, and I wish that people listening to this are taking notes because there are so many very important parts in here. Uh, that is that we, the, the opposite of these relationships that are, that are abused with narcissistic or codependent is not hyper-independence, but it's a healthy connection with people that actually wants what, yeah. you, what you desire. That is blowing my mind. That, that really defines differently everything. everything uh, relationships, yeah. work, the way in which you show up in, in uh, like a coach, like a person in social media, like mm -hmm. everything at all. Yeah, yeah, because when it's based on want and not demand or obligation or entitlement, it's based on consent and privilege, meaning I say yes, they say yes, and we recognize that it is a privilege to be in each other's worlds. So there's a really deep, active, alive respect for each other in that vulnerability and intimacy that's created. There's also honesty in this that can be fairly confronting because sometimes you're building that and you find out this doesn't work for me. That's okay. It is the process. It's, it's what it's designed to do is coax out whether or not you will last by your organic chemistry and how you navigate communication and conflict and intimacy. It's like, okay. And maybe sometimes you find out it doesn't work. So you bring that to the table. It's like, it's not working. And we've tried and we've tried and maybe it's time to call the ball and end this. Or it's working and we've worked out, you know, because every relationship is going to have crossroads and things they've got to, to work out and, and, and change in either how they do a thing or um, their capacities and learning how to adapt to each other. And that's, that's built on consent. It becomes a lot easier to navigate those difficult challenges that show up because we're coming back to the privilege of having a relationship with each other. And then commitment becomes something we're constantly choosing rather than, oh, I committed you know, three weeks ago, and now I'm stuck in this forever. It's more like, how is it alive now? Do I want to continue to commit to this uh, based on how it's adding to my well-being and happiness and there? So it's, it's a different way of relating. And I'm, I mean, I'm personally doing it. This is not me just, oh, Marshall with his words. My relationship with my girlfriends this way, my relationship with my children are this way, with my clients, my friends. And it takes some work. And, and it takes uh, energy and it takes focus, which is not something we're often very used to because we're, we're used to autopilot. It's like, oh, I was watching The Bachelor, so I can do this like that in nine weeks. I got that. It's not how it works. Oh, it it takes a, an active participation that's, that's mindful of the relationship and, and you and the other people involved. It goes back to this part that I, that you mentioned that I love so much. That is like the the healthy relationship is not the goal but the foundation. Correct. Yeah. So the peak experience is whatever you choose. It is for you too. That's the cool part. Like for me and my girlfriend, it's about play and discovery and doing some adventures, supporting each other in our mutual desires and our individual desires. That's really fulfilling for us. So that's what we're constantly working for. So we don't, we don't have conflict around this foundation of proper communication or having integrity or you know, respecting boundaries. 
we're not having, I mean, we, we have conflict at times, but it's not about those things. It's about something up here. And it's usually about timing or resources. Like, do I have capacity mm-hmm. for this? Is this the right time for it? What do we need to plan? And it's not a fight. It's not like, Rawr. it's more like we, we have to come to terms that there's a timing and we got to accept that this is what it'll be when it will be. And that can be disappointing, but that's life. That's okay. We're still going to get there, but you know, children, child brains, my inner child's like, but now, but no, I'm like, well, maybe in a year, but, but in that is a lot of satisfaction and warmth and, and, and this trust that we care about each other's well-being first. So we can be held and seen. We've, we've dealt with some very challenging things and from our past that, that were interfering at times. And that took that delicacy and that respect and trust there. So it, it is a work, but it's a different kind of work because I don't feel drained in it. I, I, in this relationship, feel fulfilled and happy. And I don't, I don't have this wondering in the back of my mind if they love me. I'm not waiting for the next shoe to drop. I'm not trying to get something from them. I know if I would like something with her, I just ask. No. Just turn my desires into ask. I'm like, hey, you want to spend time or do this? Well, she does it with me all the time too. So we're not like having expectations of why didn't you do that? I wanted you to do that and you should have known. It's more like I just ask for it and we do it mm. or, you know, whatever. So it's a really different dynamic. It's significantly simpler than my previous relationships and a lot more oriented towards just getting to know each other and building that, that love and that connection and that, that intimacy. Cause we've been doing this for like 14 months now. So it's, wow. I mean, it's still a little new on that spectrum, but it's been extremely consistent that way. And that that's a big deal. So it is, it is, it is. again, it's so reassuring. I, I find that we should all start creating, uh, normalizing the conversation about what a normal uh, healing and safe relationship could look like, because I find really that so many women stay in unfulfilling relationships they don't really think that it gets any better than that. Yeah, yeah. There's this, um, there's an understandable lack mentality that we have because it, we don't see it very often. It's not something that is, I mean, look at movies, songs, TV and stuff. It's always drama. It's always this drama triangle. Pers- you know, someone's persecuting, someone's a victim, someone's a martyr and they're just running around in this drama. And, and so it's understandable why people would be like, that 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 isn't real or it's not possible for me because my sense of value is low or i'm dealing with trauma that's unresolved and things like that and so yeah i get why it's reassuring because it's it feels like it's rare and it, it and it might be i don't i don't know but what i have seen is um at least in the history of doing this when people get really aligned with themselves really anchored in their value and then they master the skills they need for communication and intimacy. This changes because it's like, oh, I can build, I can at least discover and understand what's going on. So I can make choices, commit to people who are healthy or not, or, or avoid those who are not, right? And, and then that's when they start to filter this out and get the results they're looking for. It, it's a journey. It is. it is. Oh my gosh. 
there is so much already in this conversation to, to go and listen again and to chew on and to share. Um, and I am curious, those people that wish to keep working with you, um, how can they do so? Do you have a program, uh, a private I do. practice? Yeah. Um, so my focus dominantly is helping codependents come back to self-trust and come to know, love, and live who they are. So I do that in three steps. And that's first restoring Mm self-trust along with restoring safety, sanity, and sovereignty. And then a second step is called the, uh, the first one's called the heal yourself strategy. And that's where we focus on those things. Second steps, the know yourself strategy, where I teach you how to know, love, and live who you are. And the third one's called relationship essentials. That's called the Mm -hmm. happiness after codependency system. So these three steps lead you into that space of being available for healthy relationships. And so um, I only offer enrollment a few times a year. Mm-hmm. And so starting this January, we've got about 60 days or so. We have what's called my five day freedom from codependency challenge. So you sign up for that. It's free. You can attend it. It's five days, starts on a Monday, ends on a Friday. And I teach you these fundamentals throughout those five days. And then you can have your opportunity to enroll in the, in the happiness after codependency system and, and go deep on this with uh, life support from me twice a week. And then we have homework support live. So you can log in and do the homework with others. You can attend the live classes when they're running. Um, there's, it, we got your back with this and it's a lifetime access to the courses and to that life support from me and from homework support. So that, that'll open up in January, but get on the, the five-day challenge. And then that's where you get your opportunity to enroll in that. So that's amazing. You can do that on my website. So my website's www.freetheself.com. That's where you can sign up. I will have the link down below so that people can just click on it too. But it's such a perfect timing. And I'm so happy that you're doing this. This work is so important. And I really wish that that so many people just start creating these healthy, powerful relationships. Because there's so much more to life than wasting it, having <laughs> to be worrying about being dropped, being left, being uh, yeah. in painful emotional situations all the time. I often ask my my students and, and my community on Facebook and stuff, I ask them this question is, well, what would you do with all that time and energy you've been investing trying to survive? What would you be doing instead? Mm-hmm. And they're like, their lies light up. I'd be doing this. And I'm like, well, then let's go start doing that. Let's go build the path so you can do that and enjoy your life. Because we don't have to be pouring all this energy and focus into a relationship to maintain it. Healthy relationships, they, too, they take work, but they're not draining you. They're adding to your well-being and happiness. They support these other desires because they care about you. You care about them. So, yeah. Oh, I just feel that in my body, like this bubbly feeling of, yes, please, we need that. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Yes, absolutely. Oh, gosh. Um, so thankful for your time and for your wisdom and for these powerful tools that you are sh- and uh, that you're sharing with your with your program and for the time that you have invested in just sharing this with with my audience this is really really valuable thank you thank you for your time and the chance to contribute to your community to your well-being and happiness because that's that's what i'm about that's why i do what i do so i appreciate it so much.
Thank you, everybody. And please make sure that you sign up to, to Marshall's challenge. It sounds amazing. <laughs>